I just couldn't believe it that this chiropractor that no one really knows fixed this athlete in two or three sessions and this big time orthopedic doctor, he said there's no answers. And I went, holy smokes, that's unbelievable how different these two experiences were and opinions on the same exact athlete. I wanna figure out what really helps people. I wanna figure out these concepts, these strategies, these ideas that actually help people. Matthew Brackney is a nationally certified athletic trainer, certified chiropractic sports practitioner, and doctor of chiropractic. His master's in physical education and motor learning is from the University of Houston, and he has also served as an athletic trainer for Rice University. He currently owns Spine and Sports Therapy in Kingwood and is here today to discuss the often overlooked subjects of mobility and stability. In this discussion, we talk about how mobility and stability are different from flexibility and strength, as well as how to improve these aspects within your fitness journey. If you enjoy this episode, we would love to hear about it through a five-star review or a quick comment on YouTube. Welcome to Only the Greatest Podcast. If you're feeling stuck and unsure what to do next in your fitness journey, we might be what you're looking for. My name is Philip. I own and operate OTG Fitness, which is a private personal training gym on the south side of Houston in Webster. I do this podcast every week with my best friend, Daryl. We've been friends since third grade and working out together ever since. Also joining us today will be Sean. He's the one that makes this podcast not only sound great, but look good as well. Our goal here is to help Houston make its way up the ladder of health and fitness. So if you're in the Houston area and ready to become the greatest version of yourself, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Dr. B, man, long time coming. He finally made it. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks man. for having me. We're glad to have you. I, uh, you may have heard this in the podcast the, that we did with Dr. Chavez, and I don't know if I ever told you this, but I always introduce you as the, the guy that knows more about the human body than anyone I've ever met. Yeah, it, wow. It, and that's just how, I don't know how that came to be, <laughs> but it is true. I'm not lying. It's, so I just, I don't know if I've ever told you that. No, you haven't. I was really flattered. I listened to the podcast and I was like, whoa, holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. I was very flattered. And and thank you for that. Yeah, because we've just talked so much over the, we've known each other maybe a couple of years now. Yeah, at least four. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That long. 2019, I think. Okay. And so. uh, I've just had some of the best uh, deep conversations about injuries, injury prevention, and things like that with you. And I've just, I've learned a lot. You were the first person to teach me that just because something hurts, mm -hmm. it could, it, it's not necessarily in that area. You call it your victim and culprit right. situation. So mm -hmm. can you just maybe describe that real quick? And then sure. we're going to start getting into this mobility and stability thing. Yeah. And uh, so just because you have pain in a particular part of your body doesn't mean that's where the problem is. So many times the area that hurts is the victim. I call it the victim. It's the tissue, whether it's a ligament or muscle or tendon that's getting twisted or compressed or strained and it's starting to talk to you. It's telling you it's hurting, but that's not the problem. That's being caused by neighboring muscles or neighboring joint, some other type of mechanical dysfunction, alignment issue maybe, or muscle imbalance type issue. And those are the things that we need to be looking for. So if you figure those things out, you address that actual culprit, 
the victim will heal on its own. So, yeah, yeah, and you know, as a personal trainer, like I know that. So I know that's the case. If somebody tells me their knee hurts, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's your knee, but maybe it's something else. But mm-hmm. something about the way that you describe it and maybe the way that you talk about mobility and stability is probably a big part of it, just really helped it click into my mind the the victim versus the culprit situation, you know. Yep. And so as we kind of get started here and before we talk about exactly what mobility and stability is, and you're going to give us hopefully like an, a nice exact definition and we'll talk about that, but you do seem to be very passionate about this subject. Yeah. And I remember that from when we first met. So kind of, I don't know if I've ever heard the story directly. Why don't you just kind of tell us why is this like your main thing? Like what happened? How, how did you get into this? And you know, you picked these two things, mobility, stability, that you seem to really talk about a lot. So yep. maybe how did that get started? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Uh, I just have to also say your podcast studio is awesome. Well, thank you. It is (laughs) righteous. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we've uh, we've put a lot into this thing. It's had a a lot of iterations, a lot of variants. It's even been in this is location number three. Oh, wow. (laughs) And variation number like ninety seven, and we're only on episode one hundred two. So, yeah, it's been a lot. But yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, I think. This started, you know, I've, I've been in sports medicine for a while. I was first an athletic trainer. So I worked at the Division One level for a few years, um, working with um, sports teams at a Division One university and loved it. It was awesome. It was amazing. But uh, one of the things, that, there was a couple experiences there when I was working at that level that really opened my eyes to, um, opened my eyes to how things are done and maybe if, there might be better ways to do things. So there's a mainstream um, way of addressing injuries, medicine in general, right? And there's a certain mainstream, and it's not always the best. So my, my specialties, you know, sports medicine, orthopedics, that kind of thing. So um, I was there. Long story short, I remember I had a swimmer. There's a swimming athlete, and she started having upper back pain, Um she was dealing with it for a while. I was doing some treatments with her. It was sort of, you know, getting a little bit better, but not really. It was still there. She was trying to compete through the pain, but it was, it was tough. So sh- we saw, sh- we had her see one of the uh, orthopedic doctors that are, that are with the hospital system that was connected with that university. And that person, individual comes in, and they're a great doctor, great physician, awesome what, what they did. But um, when it came to this particular chronic repetitive type injury back injury uh, he evaluated her and then he told her you know what there's just nothing that can be done for this you're just going to have this forever and you're going to have to deal with it and that was really abrasive even to me I wasn't even the athlete right but but so to this athlete you know that was really jarring to her and you know and her she thought well crap I, am I going to lose my scholarship am I going to be able to not compete and swim anymore can I, am I not going to be able to finish my Degree, you know, these are the things college athletes think about because a large, a lot, a lot of the times their education is tied to their athletic endeavor. So anyway, uh, it was just really shocking, but um, we didn't give up. We actually had her go see my mentors, who are sports chiropractors. I was just an athletic trainer at the time, and he saw her two or three times, and she was completely fixed. Um, no more pain. It was completely gone. In three so, like sessions, sessions, I yeah. guess you would call them. Those those guys, they would come a couple times a week and work on the athletes. 
like I said, I was an athletic trainer, so athletic trainers kind of oversee entire teams, sports care. So we do the rehab with the, the athletes, but there are times when we outsource to specialists to help with different things. So I, I just couldn't believe it that this chiropractor that nobody, you know, you know, no one really knows and I fixed this athlete in two or three sessions and this, you know, with all due respect, you know, she saw this big time orthopedic doctor and he said there's no answers. So I went, holy smokes, that's unbelievable how different these two experiences were and opinions on the same exact athlete. Um, so that's really what got me interested in, um, like, I want to figure out what really helps people. I want to figure out these concepts, these strategies, these ideas uh, that actually help people. Yeah, and so. I want to backtrack just a touch <clears throat> on something that you said about it was kind of abrasive to, to you. Could you imagine what it felt like to the athlete? Mm -hmm. And I don't really consider myself an athlete, but I do love to exercise. Exercise mm -hmm. is what I do for a living. And the unforeseen consequences of injuries mm -hmm. are very high. And I could imagine, and you just broke it down from a college athlete's perspective, even me, if I get myself hurt, mm -hmm. dude, everything's going downhill from my work ethic my work life, my relationship may suffer, you know, cause I'm, I, I'm cranky, upset. Cranky's yeah. a cranky's a good word. Yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, just mad that 100%. I'm not, you know, focusing on my athletic endeavor at the time. And I'm not even an athlete. My scholarship's not on the line, <laughs> uh, but I feel like my life's on the line. Yeah. I hurt my back and I can't run. I can't exercise. Yep. I, I'm not moving that well. Dude, my life is on the line. Yep. It, it is very deep. So, I can completely understand why that would upset you and, yeah. and anyone in a situation like that. Yeah, for sure. And Move, movement is is essential to life. If we can't move, you know, our life significantly becomes, um, you know, degraded quickly. Sure. So uh, it's so important for to be able to move, exercise. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, and that being said, why don't we just go ahead and start talking about, you know, the, the two big things, which yes. are mobility, stability, and yeah. we'll start with mobility. We'll move into stability. Let's talk about what exactly mobility is. So yeah. is there a, an exact definition for that or, or how do you think about mobility? Yeah. It's defined a little bit differently in different circles. Um, but, uh, that experience that I just described, like I said, kind of put me on this path to learn what are the things that can help people the most. Um, so I um, kind of went down that path. And the way mobility and stability came up is, and I'll get into this in a little bit, but um, these are two of the most important things that if people learned, they could dramatically reduce their risk of injury. They could reduce the um, severity, if they do encounter an injury. These were just some of the most impactful things that if I taught people these strategies and they learned them, it dramatically reduced their um, injury load or risk of injury. Yeah, and so. something I, I definitely want to touch on um, before the end of this is why people don't think that mm -hmm. or they don't know about it. Yep. Right, so that's something that we'll definitely touch on as okay. we kind of move through move through these things. Yep. So I use the term mobility instead of flexibility for a couple different reasons. Um, the term mobility, like I said, there's sort of uh, there, there's a few different definitions based on what area of medicine you're in. Like, for example, if you're in um, 
geriatrics, home health, they talk about mobility is just, can you stand up? Can you sit to stand? Can you walk? You know, so it just more in the general term of the word, is this person able to move physically, you know? Uh, but the, the sports medicine definition that I typically use, it relates to not just muscle flexibility, but also joint motion. Is the joint able to go through an entire range of motion or is the joint getting stuck at a certain range of motion? So instead of flexibility, that term typically connotates just muscles. You know, it's talking about just muscles and how elastic and stretchy a muscle is. And that to me goes into mobility. It's a factor, but so are the joints. And do the joints have an appropriate range of motion as well? Um, so, so you can be flexible, mm-hmm. but not mobile. Yes. But you can't be mobile and inflexible. Is that the word? Yes. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so mobility is the combination of both. Yep. Right. So maybe if, if you could describe what would be wrong in a situation when someone has muscle flexibility, Mm -hmm. but they don't have joint mobility, like what's going on in a situation like that? And maybe what would cause that? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I've learned over the years and what's helped me be able to, excuse me, what's helped me be able to apply the right treatments to the right person is understanding their body types. And what I mean by that is um, different people have different body types. Some people are naturally tight. Their muscles are naturally tight. Their joints are naturally tight. They're just (laughs) tight. This guy. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, those people need to stretch and roll and use vibration guns all the time. Just nonstop. Then there's another side of the, the opposite side of the spectrum is people that um, are naturally loosey goosey. Their muscles are loosey goosey. Their joints are loosey goosey. You know, think about people that maybe are consider themselves double jointed. Um, you know, they don't need as much of that stretching um, and mobility work. They need more stability work. We'll kind of get into some of that in a bit. But to answer your question, um, those people those people wouldn't need to stretch as much because their muscles are naturally kind of elastic and loose. But what happens is when muscles are too loose, one of the main jobs of muscles is to keep joints stable and happy. So if muscles are too loosey-goosey, then the joints get overly tight and restrictive and compressed, excuse me, uh, because the muscles aren't doing as, aren't contributing as much to the stability of the joint. So that's a great example where someone could have tight movement, tight joints, but really flexible muscles. And what would happen in a situation like this? Are, are they that, uh, more prone to injury? Are they going to experience certain pains? Are they unable to do certain things? Yeah, it definitely predisposes them to excessive stress and strain, particularly in their joints, um, and then and then injury for sure. Yeah, and you see yeah. this a lot in, in all joints, whether it's knees, elbows, shoulders, or anywhere in it particular. It can totally be in all joints. <clears throat> you you typically see issues in a lot of the bigger weight-bearing joints like knees, hips, low back, unless they were um, like, like a tennis player, for example, and they were always swinging with their right arm. Then their arm and shoulder might be more susceptible to something like that. Mm-hmm. So if they use a particular body area more in their activity or sport, then that could predispose that particular area. But... Uh, typically those people have a, tend to have ba- a lot of back issues because the back is supporting them, right? And because the muscles are so flexible and loosey-goosey, there's just excessive movement in through the uh, 
um, into the back, and that can lead to excessive stress and strain and then injury. Yeah, so if someone is an athlete and they're using a particular body part more than another, that's maybe where you see the situation come into play with possibilities of injuries in that area and then it's almost always related to the back and as a trainer someone that's constantly working with people on exercise the low back always seems to be a problem so can we maybe um since we're on that topic i'm I'm imagining maybe people listening to this the low back is an issue with maybe a good percentage of them super common yeah can we talk about maybe is there a mobility issue that seems to be consistent with low back problems? 100%. And it's different than what most people think it is. Okay. Victim uh, and culprit. Yep, yeah, totally. So uh, most people, when they have back pain, even tightness maybe in their back, they think, let me stretch my back. And that's not the best initial route to pursue. Um, there are some times where you need to stretch your back, of course. But um, most uh, often, what... Part of what leads to some of this low, these low back issues are tightness in your hips. So tightness in the glutes, the glute max, the glute medius, the hip flexor muscle, the iliopsoas. These are the particular areas that when they get tight, they begin to influence the back. They begin to pull it and shift it in different ways. And that's oftentimes a big factor that leads to uh, a variety of low back injuries. And that could be a flexibility or mobility issue. Is, is that right? Totally. And sometimes it's a little bit of a little bit of both. So tightness in the hip flexors is super common. Lots of us sit throughout our days, whether we're at school or at work, and in that seated position, that hip flexor muscle is shortened, and then it kind of adapts and tightens to that shortened position. And um, and it, if you look at where this muscle attaches, it makes so much sense. It's called the hip flexor, but it's sort of a misleading name. It's really it's a really big back muscle. So if you look at this anatomy of this particular muscle, you know, Google iliopsoas, it's a massive back muscle. It anchors and attaches to the entire, uh, each of the lumbar vertebrae, the low back vertebrae. Um, so it goes almost to the bottom of the rib cage, and then it comes down into the hip. So when it's tight, you look at this muscle and go, oh, yeah, of course, of course that makes sense. My back hurts when this muscle's tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to get into some exact steps that we can take. Like if, if anyone listening to this is experiencing this issue, mm-hmm. issues, um, we're going to talk about different ways that we can foam roll, stretch, and address all of these issues with mobility. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I want to touch on stability as well. Yep. So can we talk about, I have a couple of questions specifically, but I'll just let you go ahead and define what stability is first, and then I'll, I'll follow up from there. Yeah, for sure. This is, excuse me, this is another one of those really important concepts. Stability, it sounds like it's the same as strength, but it's not. Strength is being able to move something across a distance, being able to move a a barbell or a dumbbell across this distance. You know, that's what strength is is loosely defined as. Stability is the ability to um, limit unwanted motion in a particular body area. So what you're trying to do is prevent unwanted motion in a in an area. So let's take the low back, for example. Um, if there's instability in the low back, then the low back is going to shift around, move around, um, and that's going to cause stress and strain to a variety of tissues in and around the low back. The muscles, the tendons, the ligaments, the discs. Um, so when there's too much movement in the low back, uh, that's a, oftentimes what leads to the issue. So stability, if you were to stabilize your back, you're locking it in place and preventing that excessive unwanted 
uh, motion. So um, can you can you be strong and unstable? Yes, a hundred percent. It's really common, actually. So there's lots of people, even people that come to see me, that um, are very strong individuals. They can move weight. They can move a lot of weight, but they don't have the appropriate stability to um, protect themselves, to protect their body. Now, naturally, over time, even if you're strength training and not stabilizing yourself well, you're going to get residual improvements in stability just by naturally strengthening your body. But what I like to do is try to help people um, have an advanced ability to stabilize themselves so that, um, one, they're more protected from injury, and then, two, it actually improves your, optimizes your performance. You know, it makes, it makes you stronger. So you so. have... <clears throat> You can be strong while being unstable. Yes. But you won't be as strong as you possibly could be. Yes. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, so you're not optimizing. with If you're missing the stability piece and you want to be as strong as possible, you could be missing out if you're not focusing on stability. And basically. also setting yourself up for injury. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, I, had, I wanted to ask, you mentioned that with mobility, mm-hmm. a lot, it's like a... I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's genetic. Is it, is it genetic and in the way like, like genetics play a role in how tall you are, right? Are genetics also playing that role in how loose the muscles are? Is is that kind of what you were saying? It's definitely a component. A hundred percent. Yep. There are even some genetic conditions that, um, Ehrlos-Danlos syndrome, for example, is a genetic condition that causes excessive laxity in, uh, in ligaments and connective tissue. Uh, so it's a hundred percent. That's a factor. Mm-hmm. I think also a factor is, um, you know, if this, if twins, for example, were born identical twins and one of them went into gymnastics and the other one went into powerlifting, one of them would probably be more flexible than the other one. So there, there, there is a, a strong component to the activities that you do, but I think there, but there's absolutely a, uh, a large connection with, yeah, it's, some it, people are just it's, born. Different. In this case, yeah. it's nature and nurture, right? Yes. Let's just, you know, I, I saw, exactly. I, I did see, it wasn't this, but <clears throat> I did see a study one time. It was two identical twins. Uh, they were males. And when the study was performed, they were both, I think, in their 50s. Mm. One of them was a, they were identical twins, everything mm. identical. One of them was a regular exerciser for their entire life. And the other was not. Mm. They were both same body weight, even in their 50s, one exercised their whole life, one did it. Same body weight, but the tests night and day because one exercised and, and one didn't. So yeah. for sure, there is there is a nature component, but there's also a nurture um, totally component going on here as well. Um, but to kind of get back on track here with with stability. Yes. And we want if we want to be as strong as we possibly can, what happens if someone is missing these components of mobility, stability, and they're hitting themselves hard and that they're kind of, you know, slowly but surely going on and they're ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Can this be fixed or is it something that they're just going to live with because of this genetic component? No, hundred percent. It's definitely something that can be addressed and fixed. Um, and kind of like I was alluding to before, different people's body types mean they need means they need uh, more of one versus the other. Mm-hmm. Someone that's uh, more loose and excessively flexible needs more stability than mobility. And then the other 
on the other side of the spectrum, individuals that are excessively uh, tight and compressed, they need more mobility than stability, you know, so, so it, it, it needs to be individualized for each person, but absolutely, these are, that's why I've um, been so, this has become something I've championed, is because these are the things that can help people make a difference in their own body in preventing injury, fixing injuries, staying active. Yeah, and someone should be doing this because I the example that I just made was someone that's kind of feeling a little ache and pain, mm-hmm. so that maybe they should step away from the heavy weights or whatever activity and maybe focus on this. How long? How long should they be kind of focused on this before they get back to their regular activity? Or does it just depend? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on the severity of their pain mm-hmm. um, and in how much or often they engage in these particular activities. Um, so... But this is something that I I think of, like, since you were a little kid, your parents, our parents taught us, what do we do before we go to bed? We brush our teeth, right? We brush our teeth, we floss, maybe use mouthwash, perhaps. Um, we've been doing those things since we were little. I have, I have little kids, you know, I, I taught them since they were able to stand and walk, they brush their teeth at night. We do that because it helps take care of our teeth. Um, if we didn't brush and floss, we'd have to go to the dentist like every month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no one wants to do that, right? So you brush yeah. and floss every day. Well, doing these things is like brushing and flossing your muscles and joints. Doing mobility and stability is the brushing and flossing of taking care of your muscles, your joints, your back, your knees, your hips, your shoulders, your neck. Um, so if people, why I brought that up is you mentioned, you know, how long should they do this before they can get back to their activity? I'd like them to do this forever. They should be doing this every day. You know, we should all be doing these things every day because these are the things that help keep our body healthy. I've had people ask me before, like, oh, yeah, I stretched yesterday and it felt good. And then today it's tight again. I was like, and they were like, why didn't stretching work or why didn't it work? I'm like, okay, yeah. Did you uh, did you brush your teeth yesterday? Yes. Did you brush your teeth, brush your teeth today? Yeah. Well, how come it didn't work? <laughs> how come brushing your teeth didn't work yesterday? It did work, but you ate again, you know? So stretching works, uh, but then you get tight again, and you have to, it's it's maintenance. Yeah. What a great uh, so. example. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've told that story many times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> um, so many people say stuff like, oh, stretching doesn't work, or, you know, or um, foam rolling. rolling doesn't work. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have to admit, I've uh, very much been a victim of that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's a really great example. Um, so you're talking about it from a preventative and maintenance perspective, right? That For sure, 100%. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. If someone is dealing with an issue, a, uh, an acute event, a, a, a new kind of injury or pain issue, then, you, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll do these activities in a concentrated dose to help get back to where you're So what you're saying is you should be doing mobility and stability. And here in just a second, we'll talk about some exact things for Mm -hmm. each one. But what you're saying is you should be doing both all the time. And then maybe if you're experiencing a particular ache, pain issue, something feels off, Mm -hmm. then maybe you just modify, say, and what kind of time are we talking about? If you say, I want Say you prescribed me to do this. I, I work out five days a week now, or let's say I work out four days a week. Yep. And that being said, four days a week, I lift weights. I run a couple times a week. 
kind of typical person trying to be active. I'm not a super athlete, um, but I care about my health. How much time are we talking about? So I recommend people do smaller doses more frequently. So instead of doing this twice a week for four hours, I recommend people do stuff like this in general daily, every day, but for a small amount of time. So two minutes of stretching and rolling, two minutes of a couple of these little stability little exercises. Uh, and if you did that daily, that would be better for you than doing uh, two days a week for two hours each time, you know. Mm-hmm. Just so let's say I did five minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so if I'm feeling a particular ache, pain issue where I would usually try to do like my whole body, mm-hmm. you know, during that time frame, maybe over a couple of days or whatever, I could just, you know, modify target, a little bit, target, target the that, particular area, that particular area. Yeah. 100%. And if you're not, then for sure you should be doing these things on a daily basis. Yeah. Right. Yep. So let's talk about um, exactly what to do. And then also how do I know if I'm the person that should be doing more mobility and stability? I know we kind of talked about it earlier, but let's yep. kind of get a little more specific here. If, how do I know that I'm the person that needs mobility work? And if I'm that person, what do I do? Yep. So, a um, couple of the things to self-identify, uh, let's use this example of someone that's excessively tight, is uh, it's pretty easy, you know, do you feel excessively tight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, most people kind of know, they feel their own body, and they, they, they know after a while, just in general, they've bent over and touched their toes, We've seen other people be able to do it, and they can't do it. Um, you know, so most people have a general understanding of whether they're tight or not. But, um, but yeah, doing doing certain stretches and not having the full range of motion. Um, so your heel should be able to touch your butt, right? When you do a quad stretch, you should be able to. Uh, I'm not a big fan of doing this for hamstring stretches, but you know, bending over to touch the toes, you should be able to touch your toes. And if you can't, those are signs that there's tightness, at least in the thigh muscles. Um, so, and then what was the second part of the question? Uh, I was just saying, how, how do you determine if you're the person? Yep. Right. And now what do we do? Yep. So there's a few main things that we want to address with excessive, um, lack of mobility, you know, tightness. Uh, there's a stretching component. There's a massage component. I'll just say, you know, people have seen foam rollers, Handheld stick rollers, lacrosse balls, uh, the now vibration guns. You see all these things. Oh, my gosh, where the heck do I start? What do I do? Those things are all do the same exact thing. It's all underneath the same category. Foam rollers, stick rollers, lacrosse balls, vibration gun. Um, they're useful in different body areas and for different, sometimes different, uh, if you have, you know, different uh, types of injuries. You know, kind of like a Phillips head screwdriver and a flathead screwdriver. Both screwdrivers, but you use them sort of for different jobs. Mm-hmm. So all of those I lump into the same, they're in the same category. But doing stretching plus that self-massage stuff, whether it's a foam roller or a vibration gun, is really important because those two things do different things. So um, stretching and rolling, it's like, going to go back to the teeth um, you need to get a dentist on the podcast next. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, go back to the teeth analogy. Brushing and flossing, they're both for teeth health, but they do different things, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so in the same way, stretching and then the massage stuff, vibration gun, foam roller, they're, they're um, both for muscle and joint health, but they do different things. 
So the, the massage is more for the connective tissue, the fascia. So when fascia gets excessively tight, excessively adhesive, fascia is the connective tissue that um, it surrounds muscles. It, it uh, goes through muscles. It connects muscles to bones at times. Um, it, uh, it's a supportive connective tissue throughout the entire body. It even goes through and supports our internal organs. Our internal organs are covered by different layers of, of fascia. Anyway, that, that tissue is normal and good. But there are times when it becomes excessively dehydrated and sticky and tight, and that limits function. So doing the massage work, the foam rolling, the vibration guns, helps to loosen that tissue up so that muscles can uh, flex and activate appropriately without being uh, restricted by these fascial adhesions. Stretching is more for um, two main things. Knots, when you have a knot in your muscle, stretching is effective for those knots. And also when a muscle has become adaptively shortened. So what I mean by that is you ever talk on the phone for a long time and your bicep muscle starts to get yeah, really kind yeah, of Yeah, I almost sore. feel like it's going to cramp. Yeah, you got to stretch it. Yeah. Well, muscles that, that's adapt. That's kind of dating us here. <laughs> <laughs> so you ever on the three-way on the party line, man? Just talking, <laughs> talking at three in the morning? <laughs> it's been right. a while, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Ever get finger injuries from yeah, dialing? Rotating. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that happens. The muscle is getting, is adapting to the position that it's placed in and it gets, you know, it's getting excessively tight. So that happens to any body area. If, a, if we're in a shortened position, like I talked about before with the hip flexor analogy and sitting, when you sit, that hip flexor is in a, just a shortened position. And when you're in that position for a long time, it, it tightens up. So that's the other area where stretching is really valuable for. Uh, so, nice. Yeah. And I had uh, two, two follow-up questions um, with that. Um, the first one is a little loaded, so I'll switch to the second one, which I think is maybe a little bit easier. Okay. Um, the first one is where does human massage fit in to that? Is that something that if I'm doing this every day, I don't need human massage anymore. Is that still something people should consider? Because I hear a lot of people that are all about getting massage yeah. once a month, once every two weeks. Yeah. Um, like, so where, where does a human massage fit into that? Totally. Great question. Um, it's back to the dentist analogy. Okay. <laughs> um, you do, we brush and floss every day, right, yeah. to take care of our teeth. But every once in a while, you need a deep cleaning. So every once in a while, you need to go to the dentist, and they can do a deeper clean. They can get in deeper areas. I should have been able to figure this one out myself. Man, <laughs> like, I should have known. You walked right into that. Yeah, one, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're welcome for the for the layup you know, <laughs> for that one. Uh, then my other question is, you mentioned um, doing this for a short amount short amount of time, mm-hmm. like two. You meant you said yourself two minutes a day. Man, I got a lot of muscles. You know, mm-hmm. I got I got chest, I got back, I got biceps, triceps, calves, quads, glutes, hamstrings. Yep. You know, to, to stretch and foam roll, you know, takes some time. Totally. So how do I break this down to hit all the, the muscle groups that I need to do Yep, in a short so, amount of time? Great question. So in the beginning, that sounds really daunting. That sounds like, oh my gosh, where do I start? How do I address my body? And... This is where having a little bit of expert help can guide someone. So the more someone learns about their own body, the more they're going to be able to know exactly which areas to target because, oh, my neck's, I woke up and my neck's a little bit tight. If they know their body, uh, they'll know exactly which areas to start working on hitting. 
not everybody knows that though at the beginning. So uh, they need to learn it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they either learn it through self education and learning things about the body, or they get some expert help from a, a savvy clinician, like a sports physical therapist or sports chiropractor. And that individual can guide them and teach them. So the, like I mentioned before, the low back's a great example. So wake up and you have some low back tension tightness. Initially, you know, we think, oh, let me just stretch my back. But once someone learns that it's actually the hip, it's actually hip tightness that is the factor that leads to back issues, then they know they just need to target their hips, hip flexors, glutes, etc. So initially it seems daunting to think about how do I work on my entire body, but the more someone's able to educate themselves on how their body works and what what are the victim culprit relationships? If they, if they learn those things, then it becomes very simple and very easy to to execute, to do on a regular basis. Uh, someone <clears throat> that I know, and you know as well, Dr. Frank. Okay. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. He taught he taught me this. Um, and it's right along the. I didn't I didn't think of it until you started. He pretty much said the same thing you did, and we were talking about this one day. And what he told me is he has his list he calls it just his little list he knows what his long-term issues are Mm -hmm. and if he feels good all around he just goes ahead and hits those things anyways Mm -hmm. if he's dealing with something specific then that will take priority yeah but if not he has his little list of a few things He's like right hip left quad and so you know like you're just saying once you learn your body you yep. know what those things are. Yep. Right? And for me like for me for example, I right quad. Yep. Remember when I had that shin splint? Mm-hmm. Like I I know that uh, from talking to you and talking about it and stuff, we we went through some different exercises and we talked about stuff to do. But my right quad, I noticed during that time, stay side. If I get on a foam roller on my left quad, yeah, it's a little tight over. Get on that right side every time. It's yep. You know what I mean? I, it hurts. I yep. feel it. So that's that's my little, you know, my day. If I'm feeling good, I feel like I don't need to do anything. I know I can get on that right quad on the foam roller. And it, and it needs could, it. It, could pro- it probably needs it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's a great point. So just doing mobility routines and practicing is one of the ways that people can learn. Because just like you just said, so they'll get on and they'll stretch their right glute and stretch their left glute. And holy smokes, my left glute is way tighter than yes. my right glute. Now, so that's something that people can learn just by starting to do some of these things on a more regular basis. And what causes that? Is that a is there a genetic piece to that where once or is it maybe their activity that they do? It's you know? usually more like postural okay. or activity based. <clears throat> so this happens all the time, right? When we sit, we'll cross our right leg over our left but not our left over our right. We do stuff like that all the time. I call it daily postural imbalances. So, but we do that things like that when we're driving, we'll like put our elbow um, out the window or on the Mm -hmm. little middle console panel deal. Uh, We'll do these little postural imbalances all the time. And we don't even realize we're doing them, but those things can lead to, um, you know, it just came to my mind is sleeping. Mm-hmm. When you sleep, hundred <clears throat> percent, you yep. have certain positions. People are side sleepers, back sleepers, stomach sleepers. Yep, pillow, no pillow. Yep, and, and think about things. it. We're in that position for six to eight hours. Mm-hmm. It's a long time to be in one particular position. You know, people move around and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, s- sleep posture is huge for body posture and 
whatever you waking balance, up balances. But, yeah, with out yeah. of balance because you were out of balance during that eight hours that, that it, you were asleep. Is yeah. there an ideal sleep posture that you would suggest? Ooh, good or? question. Yeah, so I typically recommend back sleeping on your back, um, okay. and mostly from the spine perspective because there's other people like yeah, ENT, uh, ear, nose, and throat doctors that'll say you shouldn't do that because it affects the ability of you, you breathe through your mouth more when you're on your back and not as much through your nose. So there's some other th- factors that I'm not a specialist in that might say differently. But um, in regards to the spine, I recommend people sleep on their back. But doing a pillow underneath the knees. So, you know, normally if your legs are just straight, um, you kind of, your back arches a little bit and that can be uncomfortable and that can lead to some back pressure. But putting a pillow underneath your knees then flattens that low back out and um, and really, really helps Something, mitig- mitigate stress <clears throat> and strain. Speaking of sleep, we can talk about this a little bit because I think it's really important. Something that you taught me, maybe, I, I guess probably a few years ago, um, that Denver probably still hates you for is, because <laughs> I'm a side sleeper, but I put a pillow between my legs. Yes, yep. And so that helps that. that helps me a lot. So can you talk about that? Yeah, so quick? side sleeping isn't terrible. Side sleeping is okay. I generally try to, recommend people go away from stomach sleeping because it's just not it's just not ideal you know you have to crank your head to the side your one arms underneath the pillow up above your head you know one one legs up to the side you know it's just too too many sure. wacky weird positions but anyway so sleeping on your side is okay but with the caveat of putting something like a pillow between your knees when we don't do that that top leg tends to really flop over the bottom leg and that causes a lot of rotation in our pelvis hips and low back so that's a really common cause of people's back issues, and they may not even realize it. So yeah, sleeping on your back on your side is is fine, but I recommend the pillow between the knees. Yeah, and <clears throat> the reason I said that is because Denver always um, she hates that there's always a pillow <laughs> like in the bed. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. all at all times, it like stays there in like a vertical <laughs> position, you know, and it's just always I guess in her way or yeah. whatever. I sleep know? with a pillow in between my legs too, dude. It's so comfortable. Yeah, it yeah, is more so comfortable, comfortable, and then it also has this this extra benefit as well. Yeah, of you know, kind of keeping you in alignment and stuff. Totally. But um, yeah, let's switch a little bit to uh, let's answer the same question okay from a stability perspective and, and remember the i guess it was two-part question the how first part no yeah how do i know i'm the person that needs stability and, mm-hmm. and then if i am what do i do yeah so like we we're saying everybody everybody needs both of these but yes to what degree <clears throat> right um they need it can be different so uh individuals excuse me individuals that need more stability would be people like i kind of mentioned before that recognize that they're maybe double jointed so sometimes a quick test is like being able to, t- if someone can easily touch their thumb to their uh, forearm, to their front part of their wrist, you know, that mm. that's one of the orthopedic signs for excessive ligament uh, laxity there. So that, that that's a test. Um, also, when people, st- when you, when someone stands and they lock out their knees, if their knees go backwards. Oh, I see that mm. a lot. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that before. I wouldn't it's say really a common. lot, but I'd say it's, that's more common. I totally. Totally. A lot of swimmers have have that ability. It makes them better swimmers because they have more, they can kind of generate more force. Oh, uh-huh. But uh, but uh, um, so those are some common little things. But do, doing the thumb to the wrist thing is a is a common little self test that someone could could do. Um, and most people know, like you mentioned earlier. Now that you say this, because you mentioned this earlier with the mobility thing. Now that you make this reference to just excessive motion of joints, mm-hmm. people know that. Like I work with yeah. people 
all the time where they've never exercised before and they're like, yeah, you know, my, um, my arm goes backwards. Right. That's another one. Or yeah, straight yeah, down. Yeah. Does it go? Uh, like I, we, we talk a lot about shoulder mobility in the gym. Cause that seems to be a big issue with like upper back pain. Totally. And then just the ability to do a lot of weightlifting movements, like the shoulders are involved a lot. Yep. So people will often like when we're doing shoulder mobility stuff, they're like, yeah, my shoulder always like moves around real easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everybody says this, but uh, it's common. I've seen yeah. it, yeah. you know, so that seems to be pretty easy to know that I'm the person that maybe is. So, so yeah. now what do I do though? What do I do yep. if I'm not? So um, the key here is then learning some of these different stability strategies. And there's really two main components that I think about when talking about stability. Um, one is uh, brain muscle connection. So can someone activate a particular muscle, in this case, a stability muscle that we're talking about? So that in general, this is very gen- gener- generic. Uh, there are two types of muscles in the body. There are stability muscles and movement muscles. So the mov- movement muscles are like the biceps, for example. You know, it moves the, the range, of the moves the elbow, the shoulder as well. Um, and then there's stabilizer muscles. These muscles inside the body contract to, like I mentioned before, reduce the excessive motion of a particular body area. So with that in mind, um, most people are able to activate and engage those movement muscles, but there's a surprisingly large amount of people that have a hard time telling their stability muscles to activate and turn on. So having that appropriate brain-muscle connection is really important, and that's one of the factors that I try to help people with. The other one is finding finding the appropriate posture for that joint to be in. So uh, if you're going to stabilize the joint, if you're going to activate your stabilizer muscles, you want the joints that it's stabilizing to be in a good position. You don't want to try to stabilize a joint if it's in an, a wacky position, um, right? You want to make sure the joint is in an appropriate alignment or good position. Can you give us an example? I'm totally having a hard time with that one. So the low back is a great example. Um, so a lot of times when people stand, um, they have an excessive arch in their low back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Butt kind of sticks out. Stomach kind of sticks out a little bit. I sometimes refer to it as like pregnant posture, you know, because when we're pregnant, their Mm -hmm. belly is, they're offsetting weight forward. Exactly. And their back is really Mm -hmm. hyper arched. So, um, when that happens, um, there's excessive pressure, stress, and strain in the back. That's why a lot of pregnant women have back pain. But a lot of us that get into that posture, we don't even realize that we're into it. Also, that's a really common underlying factor for, for back pain as well. So it's not enough just to engage the core muscles, the glute muscles, in that ex- overarched position. You need to first correct that arched position and get a neutral low back position so you're not arched. And then you stabilize the, the um, activate the stabilizing muscles. So you want to get out of that excessively arched position and into a more neutral, aligned position. And then when you're in that position, then you can activate these core muscles and, and glute muscles to lock it in place in that good neutral position. And, and in so, this case, are you talking about like a plank? Is that the example a, that you're a, making right now? That's a great way to depict this. A lot of times when people do planks, they have you'll see a big sag mm-hmm. in their low back. And when they do that, it's really counterproductive their core is not engaged because it's it's falling it's falling yeah exactly and then there's tons of excessive pressure in the back and so a lot of people say oh yeah i hate doing planks because it hurts my back you should never feel your back doing a plank 
you know, that that's that's not the area that you're supposed to feel at all. And they're they're not even feeling muscle fatigue. They're feeling just joint pressure. Um, so that's a fantastic example. So how we fix that, and you know that, and most fitness experts know that, is that you just have to flatten the back. If you get your back in that flattened position, and then when you do that, you should be able to feel your core muscles and not back pressure. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great way to describe it. And since we're on this, t- I think this is this is a really important topic. So I just want to go a little bit deeper with with the plank and low back yep. thing because everybody here, everybody knows. Even if if you're getting started, low back pain, like everyone at this point has correlated that to to core uh, lack of strength. Yep. Right. Lack of stability in, in the core. Right. So yep. most people. I feel like they've heard that before. Ah, my low yep. back. I know I need to work. I hear this all the time in the gym. They're coming in, you have this low back pain. And they t- they tell me I need to work on my core. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is great. I'm so happy that that's at least permeated into yes. our, our society that most people realize and recognize that core strength is connected with protecting your back. Yes. But something else I see, and I just want to hear your take on this. Mm-hmm is some people can hold decent form on a plank. Mm -hmm. And then when they're done, they'll still say, "Ah, I still feel my back. Mm -hmm. What's going on in that situation? They have good form. The form looks good, but they're still feeling that low back. It's a great question. So that goes to that first concept that I talked about with uh, stability, which was the brain-muscle connection. Mm -hmm. So people can have, you can look from the outside and it's like, oh, form is perfect. But if their brain is telling the wrong muscles to to hold them in that position, then they're, they're still likely going to feel some of those effects. So, uh, for example, uh, you could be in a plank and your brain is still telling your back muscles to activate because it's because it's it's been trained to do I was that. Say, it's been doing that for years. Exactly. Okay, so what do yeah. I do now? What do I do if that's so, the case? Cause I feel like this is just very common, so yep. I want to kind of cover this. Totally. So what people have to do is activate the correct muscles and then... What I do is I give people what I call muscle memory type exercises. So it's not about strength. We're not trying to strengthen muscles yet. We're trying to activate these important stabilizer muscles, and they have to be able to do that first. So it's, it's about control, not strength. Like handwriting is a great example. I know how to handwrite. I've been doing it since I was little. But if you put a pen in my left hand, I'm right-handed, uh, it doesn't look like I can write. <laughs> yeah. It looks like I don't know how to write. That's right. It's not because I'm not strong. It's not because I don't know how to write. It's because I haven't developed the brain muscle control of my left hand muscles to produce letters and shapes, et cetera. Um, In the same way, if we haven't developed the appropriate brain muscle connections with these particular stabilizing muscles, glutes, obliques, the deep core, um, then it's going to be very difficult to engage them during activity. So that's where people have to start is activating and telling that muscle to activate and, uh, and practicing, uh, that activation. Do you have any tips or tricks uh, on that? That sounds like, sounds like a pretty complex thing to do. And something I hear, like I've, I've been working out for a long time. I've kind of figured out how to do most of these for myself, but I have been in a position where I have tried to explain someone how to flex a particular muscle and they just cannot <laughs> do it. Like, yep. you know, yeah, and, I think and it's a kind of a tough one to grasp for sure. Yeah. And yeah. so, and I do struggle yeah. with how to help with that. Do you have any tips or tricks for that one? Yep. Sometimes it's just as easy as changing the, 
the anatomy, you know, changing the position that they're in and something can click on and they can feel it. Okay. You've probably, you've probably seen that or experienced that. But there's other times, kind of like I'm describing, where they don't have the brain-muscle connection. They're telling this the muscle signal to go down and it's just not there. And that takes work. That takes work to practice at and work at to build that. So there's no quick, immediate fix in that case. You know, it takes... Uh, practicing, knowing the right strategies. So a great example is the core, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking about the core a minute ago. That's a good one. Um, So, and back to a concept you brought up earlier that there are people that I've seen that like six packs, super buff, strong, but then I put them in certain positions and they can't hold themselves up. And it's not because they don't have strong muscles. It's because they don't have this brain muscle control that we're talking about. So the six pack looks awesome. We all want it one, you know, (laughs) Uh, but uh, it's not the most important stabilizing muscle. In fact, it's probably the least important muscle in regards to stabilizing our body and our back. So doing sit-ups doesn't, ne- you know, strengthening the, the six-pack muscles doesn't necessarily help our back a ton. Um, the most important muscle, in my humble opinion, is the transverse abdominus. The transverse abdominus, like its name implies, goes side to side. You know, six-pack goes up and down. The transverse abdominus, it's the deepest layer, and it goes, uh, wraps around our our midsection. You know, kind of like, think like a weight belt that powerlifters wear, or a corset, you know. Those are, uh, that's how this muscle is oriented, and that's essentially what this muscle does. And when it tightens and engages, it stabilizes our rib cage, our low back, pelvis, and hips. It's a massively important stabilizing muscle. And a lot of people don't know how to activate it. They don't know... Uh, what it means to to turn this muscle on. And that's a big reason for a lot of low back pain, hip pain. When the yep. um, the Valsalva maneuver, is that the transverse abdominus? I it was is just not. about to ask that. It's, oh, it's not. It's not. Oh. That's a great question. And this is a big mistake because a lot of people think when, like bracing, for example. Like yes. Say they're doing a heavy squat and they're going to brace. Yep. They'll do a Valsalva. And what that is is bearing down, right? So... Yes, correct. Yeah, I'm like doing it right now as we're talking. Yeah, Yeah, just because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've been doing it since we started talking. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds dangerous. Let's get out of here. (laughs) So uh, you don't want to do that. So what you're doing is you're putting an increased uh, pressure inside your body, essentially, in a few different areas, including your brain. Uh, uh, So doing that and then adding weight is not ideal. You're not actually activating your stabilizing muscles. In fact, you're probably weakening them a little bit. So I've seen people do that, especially power lifters. And yeah, lifters. I do that. <laughs> you know, breathe in and then bear yeah. down real quick. Um, so what should be done is I teach people how to activate this muscle with breathing exercises. So deep breath in, um, pause at the top, and then deep breath all the way out. And as they breathe out, it's kind of, I describe it kind of like trying to blow up a balloon as big as you can in one breath. Empty it all the way. Yes, when we do that, the transverse abdominus muscle squeezes our insides to help expel that air that we're breathing out. So um, uh, when we do that, we shouldn't see a ton of chest movement. We shouldn't be moving our chest as much. We should see a lot of belly moving. So the when we breathe in, the belly will kind of puff out a mm-hmm. little bit. And then we breathe, when we breathe out, the, the belly will suck and tighten back in. Excuse me. And that's how to activate this transverse abdominus. And that's one of the main exercises I use to help people find this muscle, so to speak. You know, 
find how to feel and activate this particular muscle. And that's the movement, that's the activity that needs to be done to provide appropriate stability when, especially weightlifting. So, well, Sean, we have homework. Yeah. So <laughs> breathing, so breathing out instead of breathing in. I was trying to uh, trying it as you were talking about it. So breathing out rather than breathing in. That's a great. Yeah, that's a great way to simplify it. Instead yeah. of the Valsava, would be a big breath in and then hold it in. This is breathing in, breathing all the way out, and tightening. You know, using the muscle to breathe the air out, and that creates a solid tightening effect. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. be practicing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely gonna try that out. Yeah, I'm gonna be practicing that very soon. So, okay, so. Can you um, remind me again? Just I know we kind of went off track a little bit. Yep. Um, how am I remind or how do I know that I need stability work? Can you just remind me of that real quick? Yeah, totally. So people that have identified over their life that they have double joints, ah, perhaps that they right. straighten their elbow and it it has a, a downward angle and a yes. obtuse angle, or their knees bend hyperextend backwards right. when st- locking out their knees. And so what I need to do wrist. in those situations is. And those put, are extremes, by the way. Yeah. Those are, I, you know, to, to paint a picture. There that's are right. People that don't have those things, but they still need stability. Okay. You know, so I don't want this to sound like only people that have excessively kind of loose joints need this. Most people need stability. Um so yeah, we're at least at some those, point, those are extreme examples. We're just using these extreme examples yeah. to kind of paint the picture. Yeah. So yeah. in general though, in, if I have that little bit of a situation before I work on any st- stability is basically strengthening that area while it's in a proper position. Yes. Am I working on stability when I'm doing that? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. So you want the, you want to be able to, uh, essentially lock a particular joint, let's say the low back in place before you do a movement, deadlift, squat, mm-hmm. sprinting, um, discus throwing, whatever it may be. You want to be able to lock your, in this case, back in place so that when you do this athletic movement, there's minimized stress in through the yeah. joints. And, so, and when I'm doing that, I am working on stability. Exactly. So, so it's not like I need to go do 30 minutes of this other thing before I do my workout. No. I can definitely get my stability work it in within my workout if I'm being conscious about what I'm doing and I'm paying close attention. Over time, when you practice these concepts, they become automatic. They become subconscious. So you don't have to, at first, like when you're riding a bike, when you first learn to ride a bike, you're really thinking about how to do this movement. You're really putting a lot of conscious effort into how to stay balanced, how to pedal appropriately, how to turn the handlebars. You have to put a lot of conscious effort into it. But over time, it just becomes subconscious, right? It's even a, a metaphor, you know? It's like riding a bike, you know? Yeah. That, that's a metaphor for subconscious uh, activity. So that's how these, that that's what level these things can be brought to. If you practice these things enough and the right way, they become automatic. So when you go into a squat, you just automatically activate your transverse abdominus in a in a neutral position. It just happens. You know, it just happens because you've practiced it. Yeah, that's so. definitely something that we discuss a lot with with beginners is they have to practice enough. And mm-hmm. so we I found that like sometimes just using higher rep ranges with a little lighter weights can be mm-hmm. really helpful, not only to prevent injury for a beginner, but to give them more practice. Yep. Because I always like to remind people that not only do you get stronger, but it's also a skill. Yep. So activating these muscles, like you're mentioning, getting in the proper positions, 
that's a skill yep. that comes in time, just like hitting a baseball is a skill. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just takes time. Well, let's change gears a little bit. Something that we kind of haven't talked about too much that I really want to make sure we cover is you're so passionate about this thing, mm-hmm. but someone apparently at a high level at some point in your past kind of overlooked them. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? Why is this overlooked? Why do people not talk about it more often? Why is flexibility talked about and everyone knows they need to stretch more, mm-hmm. but what's missing maybe in, in our, I don't know, in our fitness world in education or whatever your thoughts are, why, why is this mobility and stability thing seem to be overlooked and more people aren't paying attention to it? Yep. So I think mobility has really come a long way in the past, especially 10 years, 10, 15, 20 years. It's become significantly more talked about. There's all sorts of um, social media channels devoted to mobility. Um, so this mobility has absolutely increased in the public's the public eye, you know, in, in, in people's minds. It's something now they're starting to see little vibration guns, even five years ago, were something that only sports chiropractors, sports physical therapists had. Now everybody has a vibration tool and that's a good thing. You know, uh, those are really useful tools for people to have. Um, I have a thought of why that is. And I don't know, man, and I'll just share it with you. And you let me know your thoughts. I personally think it's because of uh, the explosion of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, CrossFit uses a lot of Olympic style lifts mm-hmm. that yep. require good mobility. Yep. And so I think that just kind of mobility was brought a little bit more to the forefront. Yeah, totally. If you want to be successful on CrossFit, then you can't, you have to focus yeah. on this mobility. Kelly thing. Starr, it's a great example. Yes. Yeah. You know, he's, he's championed this, this cause of mobility and even stability. He doesn't talk about it, uh, quite like as much as mobility, but, uh, yeah, he's he's a big CrossFit guy, or used to be, and um, he's definitely one of the one of the guys who's pioneered this topic and becoming, you know, not just something for these elite athletes to kind of talk about. No, but everybody, all everyday athletes. Yeah, and uh, do you so. think that, in your opinion, do you feel like and we need to talk about stability as well? But do you feel like maybe it's only a matter of time before these? And I, I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way, but, you know, science is ever changing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're ever learning about the human body. And I always re- like to remind people that there's so many unanswered questions about the human body. I talk to you about nutrition a lot too. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to remember that there, there are very few definites mm-hmm. when it comes to the human body. There, right. In general, there's probably more unanswered questions there are than there are answered questions. Totally. So... Do you think that this is one of those things that people of the past, maybe that went to school a long time ago and they've been around for a long time, they're well-respected, maybe this person that whatever situation happened with you years ago, mm-hmm. um, their opinions are respected, like I said. And may, is it a matter of time before that kind of fades away in this new era of you know the way that we adapt and look at things is kind of, on its way in. Do you, do you feel that way or what are your thoughts on totally. that? Totally. I think that's a great way to depict the situation, the scenario. Um, another sort of factor I think that kind of comes into play is science, for example, research that's done. Research is expensive. Yes. It has to be paid for. So oftentimes, sometimes research that could be profitable 
is preferenced over research that's never going to be profitable. You know, so if you have an, an academic endeavor that's never going to be profitable, there's probably going to be less research in that particular area. I think this kind of fits in that in that realm. You know, this is what we're talking about is self care. You being able to take control of your own body and self, and there's no there's no, no money, money in, that. in that, right? You want the opposite. You want people to come to see you forever. You or know? you have to go see them. Yeah. Yeah. Them yeah. 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 That's uh so empowering people to take care of themselves is generally thought of as not profitable. So why would we why would we do research in something in that area? And that's not to say there isn't research. There is there is. There's plenty. Uh but if you come if you look at all the scientific studies that are done on the human body, it's a it's a small amount. This is a very you know. small amount. Yeah, it's a yeah, but so I think that's a I think that's a factor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like things are moving in the right direction. Totally, where especially this with is, like mobility. Yeah, like and you said. Th- so what about stability? I <clears throat> and, and to be honest with you, even when we first met and you started talking about these things, I, I was somewhat familiar with mobility. Yep. But stability, to be honest, was a term that I mean I've heard before. Sure. But I think about it as like ah being stable through a weight a loaded squat. Mm-hmm. Right. That's probably the only time I ever really came across yeah. that terminology. And that's not wrong. I think it's just more, it's more detailed than that. And, um, diving into some of these specifics, like we've talked about, uh, can, excuse me, can dramatically improve people's risk, uh, injury risk, you know, even their performance, like I was saying before. Um, so, uh, stability is definitely something that just is not talked about a whole lot. And it's also not taught very, very well. So when we learned how to move, where do we learn how to do different exercises? In gym class when we were in third grade, right? And we learned how to do jumping jacks and we learned how to run around the gymnasium, run a mile and climb the cargo rope or whatever. Um, Those are where we learned how to do a lot of the movements that we do. And then maybe if we did a sport, you know, we start to learn more different things. But stability doesn't enter into never into that that area. Kids are never taught some of these concepts, so that leads to adults that have never been taught some of these <laughs> concepts. It's a great point. Um, so if we're never taught how to do some of these things, then why would anyone know about it? Yeah, and I'm not your tinfoil hat guy. That's that's <laughs> more Daryl. Uh, <laughs> but I I will I I'm not very happy about the gym class and physical education situation <laughs> going on. You remember, Sean, we were talking about this maybe a couple yeah, of months yeah. ago. You remember we saw that video? Yeah, there's a video talking about how much the physical fitness test has changed since I think it was like the 70s Yeah, I don't remember something. the date. It was kind of a long time ago, but it, w- it was just drastically different, of course. Like um, what they require from kids now compared mm-hmm. to back then is just like night night and day. You wow. know, they just don't really require them to do that much. That's and you can kind of BS and still pass pass it. There's yeah, no... Pass these kids. Yeah, there's nothing get, really... Get it's probably yeah. happening. It's happening in all... Uh, Denver, I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Denver was a sub last year a okay. little bit, and we kind of discovered that all the way around. But in... Physical education, it is seems to be very extreme. Like the the kids aren't. It's not something I've aren't being into, so active. Sense, you know, in in schools, um, that's definitely a big thing for me. Eventually, uh, like right now, we're we're sitting here, you know, doing a podcast, and I'm not directly like trying to help uh, the education system do better in fitness. But that's something that is 
on my mind and is on my plate to do because I think this stuff is important. Yeah. People need to exercise. Yep. This this is just so overlooked. And what we're talking, we're talking about a very specific piece of fitness right now with mobility and stability. But at the end of the day, there is a massive hole and gap with people's education about fitness and exercise. Yep. They think that it's okay to not exercise. Guys, this is not okay. Yeah. You must exercise. You must move your body on a regular basis. And if you don't, Things are going downhill. Type two diabetes used to be used to be known as adult onset diabetes, and now it's just it's not. You know, the, right. the amount of children that have type two diabetes is it's unbelievable. You know, and that's really sad. It's yeah, really I, sad. I agree. This is a completely different conversation that yeah. that you don't want to see me go on. <laughs> um, for I, I think that it's important, yeah. um, but at the end of the day, it sounds like these topics are just well, mobility is coming around. Yes. Um, in these, in general, though, these are topics that that weren't taught at one point in time. But it's looking like we're starting to move in the right direction, which is hopeful for for not only adults but also young people. And I think that we need to teach people so they can then teach yeah, kids, especially about these young people. You know, because if someone learns these concepts when they're young, this is something that they can take with them the rest of their life, and they can really like I've been talking about, they can really reduce their risk of, of injuries. You know, there are so many people that I encounter that are older, maybe in their sixties or even seventies. And they're dealing with a myriad of, uh, issues and hip replacements or knee replacements. And it's like, man, if someone just told you and taught you how to stretch 30, 40 years ago, you could have avoided, likely could have. I do this every, I, I, at least, multiple times a month, probably once, once or more a week, I'm sitting down with someone for the first time. They are whatever age they are. They could be in their, this usually things like this usually start to happen around in the forties. Mm-hmm. Typically it definitely happens when they're older as well, but in the forties is usually when someone's catching it quote early mm-hmm. to be honest, where they're not moving as good as they once were. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to think about, ah, man, when I retire, I want to be able to do these things. Play pickleball. Yeah, go on hikes. Like, get on a plane and go somewhere. But yeah. if someone's retiring at 65 and they've been working their whole life to be able to go on these adventures that they want to do, you got to be physically capable yep. of these things. There's kind of two parts. financial and physical, right? There's, yep. there's two parts to that equation. You got to do both. Yep. Right, and so you need to be able to move well. So for sure, we need to educate people. People need to learn about these things, and that's what we're trying to do right here. Obviously, we're focused right here in Houston. Our mm-hmm. goal is to help Houston make its way up the ladder of health and fitness, and that's what we're trying to do with the information on the show is teach people, and they can relay, relay that to, to our children. Yep. And then the children, it's inherent in them, and now two or three generations from now, fitness and health in general is just an everyday part of life. Yep. And that's kind of what we want to get to. Totally. So, Love it. Um, I think that's a good way to close this thing out. Um, Dr. B, do you have anything else to add? Do we miss anything? Is there anything that someone really needs to know about about these topics that, that we kind of brushed over or didn't get to? We covered a lot. Um, I would just encourage people to continue to educate themselves, kind of dive in and look for different ways to learn about these different concepts. Uh, knowledge is power, right? So the more you can learn about these concepts, um, I want to give... I'd, I would like, I want to give people hope that, you know, big issues, like if someone, if a doctor tells us, oh yeah, you have a torn rotator cuff, 
the first thing our minds go to is, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to use my arm again. I'll have to get surgery. You know, these are the these are the thought patterns that we immediately go down with certain conditions like rotator cuff issues or a disc injury, a disc herniation. People think these things are death sentences, and they're just not. If you know how to take care of your body, if you get some of the right expert help, you can you can your body heals. Mm-hmm. Your body absolutely heals. So, um, like I said, part of my mission is to give people hope that even if they have certain injuries, that their body can heal from them and they can continue to lead very uh, happy and active lifestyles. Yeah, so. that's the goal. Uh, Sean, do you have anything? Questions? Um, I just had a quick question about, do you have any like stretches or exercises that you suggest for people that um, probably sit often, you know, very uh-huh. sedentary, sedentary lifestyle? Totally. Super good question and super applicable. Tons yeah, of people. to most people, myself yeah. included. So yeah. I talked earlier before about the hip flexor getting really tight with being in a seated position for a long time. So the hip flexor stretch is one of, and hip flexor mobility in general is super important for uh, people that sit for a long time. So hip flexor stretch, I would also add the glutes to that as well. So stretching and or rolling into the glutes and hip flexors. Doing those two things um, for people that sit on a regular basis, uh, Mm -hmm. they'll immediately feel the difference in their body. They'll immediately feel relief and less tension in their backs, their hips. So, and uh, can you describe the hip flexor real quick? Where, where is that at? Yes. The hip flexor is right in the front part of the hip. Um, do you want me to describe the stretch? Or yeah. Just yeah. Just like where it is and then how to stretch it. Yeah. yeah. So the hip flexor is in the front of the hip. Like I mentioned, it actually anchors in the back, but it attaches into the front part of the hip. So doing the classic runner's lunge, you know, the runner's lunge stretch, uh, that's how you stretch. Two 90 degree angles yep. kind of thing. And yep. then knee, lean forward. Knee is on the ground and then yep. lunging forward. That back leg, the front of the back will feel a stretch as you hinge, as you lean forward. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. A big, you know, it's easier to demonstrate this than to describe it, but uh, making sure that you're not overarching your back is really mm-hmm. important with that. Sometimes people do that, they'll get into that stretch and they'll really hyper arch their back because they feel like they can go further into the stretch. But the reason they're able to go further into the stretch is because they're putting slack into the muscle. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure your back is flat and straight uh, when you do that stretch, and that maximizes the stretch in the hip flexor. Hip flexors and glutes, Sean. All right, there you yeah, go. We're hip sitting flexors and glutes. All right, well, Dr. B, if someone wants to get a hold of you, you mentioned f- expert help can be helpful. Obviously, uh, people, you guys can do a lot of this stuff on your own. There's no reason to not be doing these things on a regular basis. If you're exercising regularly, pay attention, work on your stability throughout your exercise, Use the, do the mobility stuff uh, if you know that that's something that you need, and just general maintenance. But if someone does want some expert help, maybe they're banged up a little bit, they got themselves hurt. Um, your office is in Kingwood, mm-hmm. right? So do you want to just say kind of how to get a hold of you if you want to, um, if someone did want to reach out? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, on Instagram at um, at Dr. Matthew Brackney. Uh, so if anyone wants to find me on Instagram, they can find me there and they have my, uh, my websites, my contact information there. But also my website is fixmysportsinjury.com. Uh, so if anyone wants to check how out. much was that <laughs> did you pay for that uh yeah it was a long time ago oh did so. you get a good deal on it that sounds expensive <laughs> <laughs> you, you, like, you know uh, digital real estate is a thing sure yeah, that's totally. a really cool domain yes yeah thank you yeah I like um, that a lot. yeah i i can't take credit for it it was my predecessors uh, my mentors that 
that um that purchased that were, that purchased that. Ah, so I bet nice, it was expensive. Nice. Yeah, yeah not sure how much I never yeah. asked them. Oh, cool. Them. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, guys, um, for sure, check out Doctor B. Uh, if if you uh, on Instagram, all his information there. FixMySportsInjury.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, great URL there. So make sure you check that out. And we will see you guys next time. We're out of here. Right, peace out, guys. Later. Like, subscribe, share. <laughs>